0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, it took me a few years to realize this, but I did finally discover I am married to a peeker. Yeah, she cannot wait for Christmas. She has to know. She's got to discover. She has found all of my hiding places. She has even, even been known to carefully unwrap and rewrap a present so no one could tell. Now, mass confession here this morning, okay? All right, because confession is good for the soul. We do this every once in a while. How many in this room would, maybe sheepishly, but would admit, I am a peeker? Any others? Oh, okay. There's a few of you out there, all right. We have a special group for you meeting on Monday nights. If, if your husband or wife raised their hand and you were not aware of that, you better find some new hiding places. <laughs> now, some of us have more self-discipline than others, but we all have this innate curiosity. Uh, it's, it's part of our human nature. We, we want to explore. It's kind of what makes us human. We want to understand. We want to know and in John's gospel, we talked about this last week that, that John is giving us this inside information. John doesn't start his gospel with the narrative of the birth of Christ. What he does is he gives us this, this cosmic backstory, he tells us what God was doing when Christ came to earth. And we looked at this, we started looking at this last week, week because there's a couple of key words in this introduction to his gospel. Let me read it to you again this morning. John 1, uh, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life He was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, "This is the one I spoke about when I said, "He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me." Not of the fullness, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him young. John tells us God is revealing himself in Jesus. And we talked about this last week, looking at one of the key words John uses, the word that God has been speaking, and particularly through Jesus, God spoke in a way he had never spoken before, and he spoke so that we would understand him, so that we would would love him, and we would trust him. And today we're going to look at another one of the key words that John uses. The word is light. And I want to unpack this a little bit for you this morning, because I want you to think about what that means. Because light by its very nature, illuminates, light reveals, light shows. It's kind of, Jesus is kind of like God's show and tell. So what is God showing us? What is it that we see in Jesus that God wants us to know? There's a couple of things. Actually, it's a lot of things, but I'm going to keep in on just a few of them this morning. I think in Jesus, one of the things is that we see is a God who takes the first step. That it is God who takes the initiative. John writes it this way. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That in Jesus, once again, God is making the first move. Now, he's done that all throughout history. John talked about it. We looked at this last week. From the beginning, God has been speaking. God has been showing himself. It is God's nature over and over again to show himself. God is the one who comes looking. God is the one who takes the initiative. And you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve first sinned and they went and hid, they didn't come looking for God. It says, God went looking for them and called out, where are you? Now, it wasn't God didn't know where they were hiding. (laughs) It was that they needed to come clean. God takes initiative in the garden. God takes initiative with a man named Abram, changes his name to Abraham and says, I will make you clean. Out of your family and your descendants, a great nation. And out of you and that nation, all the world will be blessed. And now John says, here it is. In him was life, and that life was the light of not just the Jews, not just a select few people, but of all mankind. God is fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham. Throughout the Old Testament, you find the prophet speaking and warning and telling people, if you do not follow God's ways, if you continue to neglect him, if you continue to disobey him, there is going to be resulting consequences to that. God sending his prophets, taking the initiative over and over again. That's the story of scripture. God takes the initiative. And now in Jesus, in a way like never before, God is taking the initiative because he always has. Michelangelo, the artist, caught this. Beautifully, um, a couple of years ago, my wife and I got a chance to go take a trip to Italy, and we went to Rome. And one of my big things is I wanted to see the Colosseum, and I wanted to see the Sistine Chapel. And here's one of the things that a couple of things are, that struck me about the Sistine Chapel. One is that it's small; it's like half the size of this room, and it's got very, very high ceilings. And this great mural that Michelangelo, you know, put up there on the ceiling looks really, really tiny. <laughs> The other thing that struck me is no photography is allowed. I discovered that when I tried to sneak a picture on my iPhone, but that's another story. But I want you to take a look, because this is one of the most famous pictures that you will see. We'll put it up on the screen. You may have seen this one. It is a picture of God creating man, and God is reaching out to man. Now, if you look at the close-up, let's do the close-up. Notice who's doing the reaching. And who's just kind of like, well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You see, Michelangelo caught this this great truth. God is reaching out. God is reaching out to Adam. And Adam is just kind of sitting back like, like, well, okay, you know. And that is the story of mankind. Like, well, okay, God, if I've got the time if it's not too much of an imposition, if I don't have to change all that much, if you really want to reach out to me, I guess it's okay. And in Jesus, we see a God who is longing for this relationship. And it's so important. God doesn't want us to miss it. In fact, it's so important. He actually, after 400 years of prophetic silence, God not speaking to the people, he sends a messenger to prepare the way for Jesus. John the Baptist. That John came as a witness, John says, to testify concerning that light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In Jesus, what we see is God's initiative Most clearly, that God is the one who is taking the first step. John writes about it in his letter. He puts it this way. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He took the initiative and sent his son, an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And Jesus coming is God showing us that he is a God who takes the initiative. And because of Jesus' coming, everything changes in our relationship with God. A God who appears so so distant and unapproachable, now all of a sudden God is brought near. That a God who, who who is revered with holy fear now becomes familiar and relatable. And a God whose name... Yahweh, which we don't even know if that's the really pre- real pronunciation because the name was never spoken. It was considered to be too holy, too revered to even speak out loud and not even written. Just the consonants are written, Y-H-W-H or J-H-V-H, Jehovah. We don't even know how to pronounce God's name. But all of a sudden, because of Jesus, that unpronounceable name of God becomes Abba, <laughs> Papa. It is the baby's language, reaching out, the first words the baby speaks. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus changes the relationship, and that's why this is such a remarkable event. Now, those of us 2,000 years later who are so familiar with the story, we don't realize how powerful a thing this is. But this is absolutely revolutionary. God taking that step in a way he has never taken it before and he is taking the initiative. That's why John is so insistent on it. That's why he writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim. He said, it's a reality. We saw it. We touched it. We listened. We heard him. He let us touch him. God, let us touch Him. And that sense of touch is so personal. And this really came home to me um, the first time I visited Uganda. And 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 one of the things, because we deal with AIDS orphans primarily there, and there's a tribe called the Karamajang. They are the outcasts of their own culture. They are a nomadic tribe, they have no area in which they dwell. And they are notorious for being sheep stealers and goat stealers. They are looked down upon and frowned upon. And even in the Karamajung, mothers and fathers are dying from AIDS and orphans are being left behind. And we go and we visit the Karamajung children in a, in a ministry called Smile Africa. And the only thing the kids want to do is hold your hand. To hold your hand. And you have five kids on each hand. All wanting to hold, and one wants one finger, another finger, you know, and one grabs your, you know, they, they just want touch. And they're dirty and they're filthy, and their noses are running, and you know you're going to get a cold. But to touch, simply touch, is, is love to those kids, it's life giving. And in essence, that's what God is doing in Jesus. He's letting us touch him. Filthy, snotty-nosed that we are. God takes the initiative. And we see that most clearly in Jesus. God shows us himself. The best that he ever has. But he doesn't just do that. We also find in Jesus, not only is he God who is showing himself to us, but he is also a God who shows us to ourselves. (laughs) And that's not quite so comfortable. He speaks truth. And no one spoke truth like Jesus did. John put it this way. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus was uncompromising in the truth. And people didn't like to hear it sometimes. But he cut through the theological smokescreens that people threw up in front of him. He, he spoke to and pointed out hypocrisy, though nobody wanted to see it. He spoke to the teachers of the law and said, You blind guides, and they hated hearing that from him. And he drove the money changers out. of church. He was unrelenting in the truth. And here's the thing. We cheer Jesus on when we see him do that to other people. But when he points the finger at me, it's not quite so comfortable. But there's this thing about light. When light comes on the inside, windows become mirrors. Have you noticed that? When light comes inside, the windows become mirrors. And when I look at Jesus seriously... He holds a mirror up to my soul, and he shows me the truth about myself, and that can be uncomfortable. John wrote it this way, quoting Jesus: "This, is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Evil." Isn't that a bit overstated? I mean, isn't that a bit strong? I mean, fallible? Yeah. Faulty? Yeah, I'll admit to that. I'm not perfect. after all. I'm only human. <laughs> and that's the problem. We would like to think not evil, just not quite so good. And yet, and yet, the truth is, if I look at my own life, if I examine my heart truthfully as God does, I might believe turning the other cheek is a really good way to live my life, but my neck is really, really stiff in turning. And I might believe that doing unto others as I would have them do unto me is the right way to live my life, but the truth of the matter is I do a lot of doing unto others with no thought about how I would want to be treated if it were me. I hear Jesus' words, and he says, The greatest among you must be the servant of all. And yet, my knees don't bend very well. And I would serve you if only you would see to do things my way. (laughs) And I hear Jesus say, It is better to give than to receive, but my wallet is not quite so convinced. because when jesus shines his light he reveals my soul and we all have kind of this conspiracy of not telling on each other <laughs> of not being honest with each other of not being honest with ourselves and jesus shines his light and he shows me my true self And my true self has an awful lot of darkness in it. And we won't even get to where Jesus says, you have heard it say, do not murder. But I say, if you are angry with your brother, you have committed murder. He goes right to the heart. John put it this way. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, we're really good at self-deception. He shines that light, and we don't want to look. But he shines it not to, not to harm us, not to punish us, but to help us to see what we really need. Because when it comes to standing before Jesus, only one thing is required. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, if I look and see other people as they are the ones who are broken, they are the ones who are carrying the baggage. Those are the ones that really need shaping up. I need to be careful. Because it was the fine, upstanding religious churchgoers that were the first to reject him. Jesus makes us take a look at ourselves. He shines the light not to harm us, but to heal us. And though that truth may be painful sometimes, Jesus also shows us one more thing, that he is a God of relentless love. John put it this way. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. It is the candle that cannot be snuffed out. And that's the thing about light. Light always overcomes darkness. No matter how small the light and how great the darkness, one small light overcomes it all. Jesus embodies the promise of Of a God who says he will do whatever it takes to reach us. He will do whatever it takes. He doesn't just show us how badly we missed the mark. But Jesus also shows us the persons we were meant to be. He shows us in his life the life that was meant to be lived. He reveals to us our true selves, our true potential, our true nature in him. If we will but confess. What needs to change? Because it's not just a matter of fixing up a few minor flaws. It's about a renewal and a rebirth. And Jesus shows us that. And he shows us the lengths to which God will go to make it happen in our lives. And I'm not even talking about the crucifixion. I mean, just think about this. Think about the sacrifice of the incarnation. The fact that God set aside, that Jesus set aside all of that power and authority and made himself one of us. I want you to think about what kind of a step down that really is. That the all-powerful God makes himself a totally dependent baby. And he grows up and becomes a teenager, the only teenager who really did know better than his parents. (laughs) (laughs) and still submits to their authority who grows up to become a man not a prince in a palace not a king on a throne but a wandering rabbi with a small entourage of followers who is constantly misunderstood misinterpreted spit at rejected ignored I mean That in itself is a sacrifice. But then he does the ultimate by laying down his life for us. He is a God of relentless love. And that love is the purest, purest example of unconditional love this world has ever seen. And that kind of love you don't learn in a lecture hall. You can hear sermon after sermon after sermon. You can hear teaching after teaching. You can diagram the Greek and the Hebrew and all of that of what love really, really means. But the only way, the only way you know love, is to experience it. The only way I know love, is through those who have loved me. And love becomes such a powerful, major theme of all of John's writings—not just in his gospel, but but in his letters. It occurs over and over again. The, the word love concur- occurs in, the, in John's gospel 34 times. In his letters, which are only like five chapters all together, 48 times. John teaches us about love. He is a man who experienced love and knew what it looks like. Now, it wasn't always the case with John. One of the challenges I gave you this Christmas season is to read through the gospel of John not going to ask you to raise your hands as to how many are keeping up with it but if you haven't it's not too late you just got to start reading two chapters a day now but read through the gospel of john and you see you see this man john and you see you see his pride and his arrogance and in his ambition he goes to jesus he says god jesus would you do me a favor would you do this special thing for me would you make me your right hand man I want to be your second-in-command. I want to be the go-to guy. I want to be the one who sits on your right hand. I want to be that guy. And that's his ambition, and that's his, that's his self-seeking. That's not love. But that's John. You read a little bit later in another one of the Gospels, and, and John Jesus and his disciples are on their way through Samaria and they stop at a village and ask for some help and they're not shown any hospitality. And John, this wonderful, lovable John, John says to Jesus, should we call down fire on top of them and burn this whole place up, Lord? (laughs) That's John. (laughs) And when other people are performing miracles... In Jesus name, his envy and his jealousy says, Lord, should we tell them to stop? <laughs> stop caring for people. Stop healing people. Stop casting up. Stop doing good stuff because it's not me, it's not us. That is not a man who was a natural lover. But he spends 3 years with Jesus. And his life is transformed. See, To be loved is to know love. And in Jesus, we see love because we see Him loving. And it's an ongoing work. That's why John wrote, its truth is seen in Him. And then he adds this, and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. That if we turn, if we confess, if we own up to our own evil, our own sin, something supernatural happens. The light begins to shine on the inside. We begin to understand this love of God that will not give up, will not let go, will not cast us away. And slowly, slowly as we see that love, as we experience that love, as we know that love, we learn to show that love. And that's why Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself because that is the kingdom of God. And when we experience that love and we begin to show that love, God is being revealed in us, through us. Zechariah said these words. About Jesus. He is coming to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the path of peace. It keeps coming back to a person. It keeps coming back to Jesus. Not a theology, not a philosophy, not a formula or a recipe, not a set of ethics or a moral code, not a doctrine or a creed, but a person person of Jesus Christ and yet in all of it he still leaves the choice up to us at every point to all who did receive him, John writes to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God would you bow your heads with me